that's good. Keeps me awake a lot. Anyway, I don't mind the cold. Never did. We Russians can endure just about anything. We've shown that. Just about anything. Is it willpower? Stubbornness? Oh, yes, I admit to that. I am, have always been stubborn. Even as a seven-year-old, when I stood in the snow on my bare feet in protest at being expelled from the table for not eating my meat, my poor mother, what I put her through, the worry and sufferings a mother endures for her sons, Russia endures for its people and the people for Russia. And here am I, our premier composer, sat in the corner on the floor of my apartment at three o'clock in the morning, waiting for them to call, to come and take me away, like so many of my friends, any time now. I heard the whispers, saw the faces. Dimitri's finishing now. Best to avoid. Don't he see you? see you? Why is he still here? Why does he run? run? There's no way he can go. There's nothing we can do. The fact is, our great leader frowned at me. Worst of all, he frowned in print. That article. Chaos instead of music. As good as a death sentence. I've seen it too often. I don't mind criticism. I, I listen to all intelligent opinions of my work from colleagues who know what they're talking about. But how many political leaders either know or care a fiddler's fart about music or the arts in general? Sure, they'll take credit where it suits them, in the international press, boast about our wonderful culture, parade us like puppets before the media. Look how wonderful it all is. What pride we take in our most talented artists. And we stand there silently while the lights flash, I hiding behind my thick glasses, lips tight, expressionless, longing for it to be over. And maybe it is. What's that? No. Oh, nothing. Oh, what I'd give for a cigarette. I should have had a packet kept somewhere for emergencies. I didn't plan this very well. I've been so caught up on my symphony that food, wine, even cigarettes had to take second place. That's how it is with me, even now. Here I sit on this floor, squatting, really. I don't want to be too comfortable. My briefcase clutched to my chest. And what's in the briefcase? My symphony. Almost finished. Another week. My most personal work in many ways. I won't go without it part of me.
the great leader, father of the nation, all-knowing and comprehending, would not understand that. He would resent it. The part of me he cannot control. What does your music mean, Dmitry Dmitrievich? Why can you not write something simple and popular that the ordinary citizen can understand? Your opera is a petty bourgeois self-indulgent mess. And mark me, this will all end very badly. When I read that, I had to go to the bathroom straight away and be sick. I clasped the sink with both hands and stared at the water washing away my breakfast. I tried phoning some friends, but they were out. I wouldn't answer my call. As much as that hurts, I can understand it, too. I remember Yuri. Poor, stupid, big-mouthed Yuri. Branded an enemy of the people. For what? For telling a joke. Admittedly a filthy joke about a senior party official and his partiality for young boys, but still... One vodka too many after a performance in the theater. He should have stuck to his script. Let those who play your clown speak no more than a set down for them. Wise words. And Yuri had a family. He should have known better. Even in a small gathering late at night, there are ears willing to take advantage of such a slip. But the word went round the night before he was taken. I remember my phone rang a number of times. I didn't take the call. Could be anybody, I said to myself. Anyway, I'm working. When he disappeared, I found I couldn't look his wife in the face. And I'm sure she knew. I've avoided her ever since. But that's how it is. Survival. One must survive. That is the great imperative. All these things will pass. If we know anything, it is that. Just hang on in there somehow. My mother would have said, God will provide. Trust in him. Trouble is, I trust no one. Especially God, that conjurer. Not that I believe he exists. No. We are all on our own in the end. Believe what you like. By all means, grab comfort in whatever system of belief or non-belief helps you to get through. Shove it a pill how you will. Personally, I don't buy it, as the Americans would say. Despite the best efforts of Bach, Mozart and Beethoven, three high priests infinitely closer to their sublime being than any religious patriarch, if they couldn't persuade me, Uberem Stenenzelt muss ein lieber Vater wohnen. Sorry, Ludwig. Nice try. Sublime even. <laughs> but your heaven was inside you in your talent, in your struggle, in your mind. Perhaps I'm wrong. So, sue me. Ah. Oh, bugger. Ah.
cramp. Need to stand. Out that window somewhere. Just a few miles away. A party pedant is filling out a form. A form with my name on it. And stamping it to make it official. He passes it on to some underling, along with several other forms. Oh, I won't be the only one. I'm not so full of my own self-importance to think that. Some shopkeeper whose daughter refused the advances of some party lickspittle, a cleaner who missed the dust on the window outside the great leader's office. That old man with the bulbous nose, whose presence on the square just became too irritating. Oh, yes, I won't be alone. A little quartet of us. In the end, that will be all. A quartet. An E-flat minor, perhaps. All adagios. Yes, indeed. Something to look forward to. I'd stamp my feet, but old Ludmilla in the flat below would have a heart attack. She was once such a handsome woman. I remember her coming to my first concerts. She really has no ear for music, but she seemed fascinated enough then. Always the mouth open and the handkerchief in her hand, an expression of studied bewilderment. But I did appreciate her being there. I was always so nervous playing my own works. Uh, I used to have a recurring dream where the concert hall was full, the orchestra was waiting, and I am about to walk out onto the platform, to the piano, when I suddenly look down and see that I am completely naked. In my nervousness about the music, I have forgotten to get dressed. My name is announced, and someone pushes me forward. I awake in a sweat. Even now, I remember that fear. Of what I thought was fear. Until this. I've always tried to give away as little as possible. In my face, my expressions. Some people see me as arrogant, smug. Others see the fright. Like those American journalists that time in New York. Their rudeness questions, so intrusive, asking questions they knew I couldn't answer, political questions, not one serious, intelligent question about my music, not that any of them ever, had ever heard one note of my music, if they had and if they understood it, they might have found their answers, but no, they were an ignorant lot, still they could see my fear Behind my blank expression. Give us a smile, Dimitri. They all laughed. Very funny. Yes, America. Very funny. I can remember that laughter. And what it reminded me of at that moment. When I was six years old, my uncle brought me to this carnival on the edge of the city. It was rather an old, woebegone thing. 
tumblers and dancing bears. The big attraction was hidden behind a dark cloth or curtain. An old man with rotten teeth smiled down at me as my uncle put some coins in his hand. The old man wheezed as he laughed and drew back the curtain to let us in. I didn't want to go, but my uncle's grip was strong and he pulled me inside with him. Down a little dark winding corridor, there were sounds coming to us, of people laughing. Some cried, and a scream also, but mainly it was laughter. And we turned into a room, not a huge room. There were people in front of us, men and women being encouraged to move on. I found myself being squeezed, much against my will, through all these dresses and coats and capes, until I stood at the front, facing a large cage set up in the room. The first thing I noticed was the smell. I put my hand over my nose and mouth. I thought I would be sick. Only then did I see the figure inside the cage, a low, crouching figure in a dirty cloak that looked like sackcloth. Come on, stand up. Then the crowd started to shout. I wanted to get out of there, but my uncle had me in a steel grip, facing the now moving figure inside the cage. The figure moved slowly, deliberately, perhaps at the only pace it was capable of moving. It stood taller now and began to turn, to face the crowd. And there was an air of anticipation in the room and a few intakes of breath. The stench grew stronger. All of a sudden then, the sackcloth was thrown away and the figure swung round to face us and the cries and screams and nervous laughter began. People pointing, commenting, laughing. I heard some feigning being sick while I stood looking up with tears streaming down my face at this poor creature standing there, naked but for a dirty loincloth. A man, a man stood there, but the most horribly disfigured creature, strange growths all over him, his face almost unrecognizable as a face, but for his two little brown eyes without expression. His mouth, his gash of a mouth lay open, breathing heavily, as if the effort of just standing still was crippling him and a perpetual dribble of saliva fell down onto the folds of flesh underneath. That dribble mirrored by my tears. What sort of pain was this man going through? What sort of people would parade him like this and pay money to view him in his agony? That was the nearest I ever felt to Christ, to the crucifixion, to the evil of men and the suffering. I fainted then and was carried out of the room, but the stench remained with me. I smell it still, 
That and the cruel laughter, both linked together, wedded together, part of us, an innate part of us. In me, as much as in anyone else, what a piece of work is man. Oh, indeed. And still I wait for them to come for me. If it be now, <laughs> that bloody play is full of quotes. Why is it so in my head tonight? Tonight when I should be in my bed having erotic dreams about Sonia. Yes, always about Sonia. <laughs> she helped select this suit, threadbare as it is now. You must wear something decent to the ceremony, Mitri. Mitri, her name for me. I can't remember what the occasion was, some nonsense or other, but she insisted I had to have a new suit, and she dragged me to Solomon's. A wise decision. Oh, another little thread is loose. Sonia wouldn't be happy with that. You can't go to the gulag looking like that, Mitri. Let me see it. That would be her. The visuals matter. I'm a composer, Sonia. It's not the visuals that interest me. I so miss her. Ten years now since... I always wore this suit for her. Blue. Like her eyes. If you had to choose, Mitri, between losing your sight or your hearing, which would it be? Sonia, I'm already half blind. No, but say, from your birth, say you were born either blind or deaf, which would you rather? I can't think of a world without music. So you'd rather be born blind than deaf? Yes, but it is a bit late now, don't you think? I would hate to be blind. There's so much beauty in the world. A leaf, a rainbow, a snowflake. And your eyes, my dear Sonia. To think of not being able to see into your eyes. <laughs> ah, but you chose to be blind, Mitri. You would never be able to see into my eyes then. You would never know the colour of my hair. Or whether I was pretty, or ugly, or how could you be anything but pretty to me, Sonia? But you're blind. Well, love is blind. So you've always said it was my eyes that first attracted you. Yes, she had me there. That was quite true. Reaching across for a loaf of bread. That is how I saw her first, in the bakery. It must have been something to do with the light coming through the window. Catching her glance up momentarily to see me staring at her. There was a radiance about her. I stopped breathing, hoping to hold the moment, as indeed I hold it now in my memory. What I would give to return to that moment, that would be my idea of heaven, an everlasting moment, Sonia with the bread in her hand. No musical phrase could match that look in her eyes or that feeling it gave me, still gives me. Mitri, Mitri, I'm, I'm pregnant. Enough of this. Where are they? Why haven't they come yet? Always between three and four in the morning, the time of least resistance. They should be here, or at least on their way, picking up the others. Perhaps I'm last on their list. They're building up to me. After all, I am our premier composer. Ha! They should be laying out the red carpet. Such a distinguished guest. Shortly to be an extinguished one. Yes, nothing like a bit of gallows humour. I wonder what it's like to be shot on the head. 
Perhaps the best way. Taken by surprise. Sit down, Dimitri. Rest, Rest yourself. Would you like, you like a little vodka? That would be it, wouldn't it? Consciousness would cease. A dull fade to nothing. A dull fade to nothing. I'll try ending a symphony like that someday. If I get out of this, get through this night, unending. Oh, where are they? The gun or the gulag, Dmitri Dmitrievich. Which would you prefer? Of course I'd go for the gulag. Keep breathing. First lesson in life. You might be in shit, but you're still alive. There's always the possibility. And I'm young enough yet. I'm sturdy. I can survive most things. Even certain nights at the opera. That idiot Miyukova. Whoever told him he could compose? What stupid piano teacher encouraged him as a child to think of music as a career? Now to me, that's who we should send to the gulag. That piano teacher. His opera, The Factory Heroine. My God. Third-rate music by a third-rate composer, beloved of the party. Extolling the collective. Pure shit. Yet they all rose to their feet at the end. A great ovation. I must admit my own hypocrisy here. I stood up as well. I even applauded anything to get the circulation back after three hours of numbness. Numb bum, as Sonia would say. Have said. Wasn't that wonderful, Dmitri Dmitrievich? Such an uplifting work. We need more of this. I think I managed a nod. <laughs> One never knows what's going on behind those glasses of yours, Dmitri. I would hate to be playing you at cards. Two weeks later, the same official disappeared. Just like that. Should have kept a poker face. And what of Miyakova? Died in a traffic accident on the way home from visiting his mistress. A great cultural loss. But perhaps choosing to have the same mistress as the first secretary of the party was not the cleverest move. As I say, I blame the boy's piano teacher. She might have averted all that and saved me that excruciating night in the theater. Miyukova always denied his connection to Tchaikovsky's madwoman, although that is unfair to her. She was just a sad lady with her own problems. And he handled it all very badly, Tchaikovsky, his brother especially. But it all led to great art. Eugene Onegin would perhaps never have been written. Tatiana's letter scene and the violin concerto was also written in the aftermath of their disastrous marriage. The Fourth Symphony also, although my own fourth is here with me. In the wake of events, it might disappear with me. Tatiana, Sonia, oh, the obsession of love. What makes men such bastards? Is it something as primal as the physical act of sex? We ejaculate, job done, move on. I get such guilt that as soon as my seed is spent, the initial attraction is no longer present. Why is that? And the lies we tell, anything to get into bed. Sometimes we even believe them ourselves. Of course I love you. Really? I've never felt like this about anyone before. Really? You are the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. Really? 
I want you more than I've ever wanted any woman. Kiss me. Successful? Now it is the 1812 Overture. And then, nothing. Imbecility. And after a gradual awakening... Oh, Christ, she's still here. What can I say? How will I get out of here? Yes, I feel guilty about that. Very guilty. Until the next erection. And Sonia? No. No, no erection can clean my slate there. There it is. That is an engine. No doubt about it. Some way off yet. No, no. No, listen. It's fading. This isn't coming this way. Yes, going. Gone. My heart. Oh, none but the lonely heart. Peter Ilyich Tchaikovsky. My first musical love. Those heartbreaking, wonderful tunes steeped in Russia. Yet universal. I used to get such a kick as a boy discovering another Tchaikovsky tune, the theme and variations from the third suite, the Baccarole, the trio from the G major concerto, and of course Francesca da Rimini. That piece haunted my childhood. The circles of hell, the swirling orchestration, and then out of this comes that plaintive clarinet. There is no greater sorrow than to remember the happy times in misery. And that was before he married Antonina Miukova. Emotion is such a mainstay of our work, of all artists' work. But it must be controlled, used for a purpose. Overdo it and it's just blah. What I like to call manual intercourse. But without it, well, what's the point? You can have all the technique in the world, at whatever discipline, and I certainly don't underestimate the importance of technique, but unless there is heart at the essence of the work, then what is the point? Yes, there are times we produce work to order, work that doesn't come from the gut, and because we have the skills, the technical skills, we deliver the work as requested and we get paid. But there's nothing of ourselves in it. It is worthless. But the people who order the work wouldn't know that. Meanwhile, we take out from the bottom drawer of our desk the piece we are really working on and involved with, and we pour our heart and soul into that. Something like my symphony, which may never see the light of day. Speaking of which, it will be dawn soon enough. Oh, I'm so tired. Oh. I need to sit down again. Oh. Oh, I must keep my eyes open. An uncomfortable position is best. Oh. Oh. 
risk of further cramp. Ah, that's better. I'm sure it is slightly brighter now. Although that may be an illusion. <laughs> Wishful thinking. I just stare at that door. Sooner or later I'll be able to make out the outlines of the four panels on that door. When I'm able to see those, then I know dawn has come and I have survived the night. Sonia painted that door. I remember watching her. Slow, graceful strokes. Even painting a door she could show such love. And that's why we're here, isn't it, Mitri? To bring love? To share love? Without love, what are we? Without love, what is the point of anything? Creation, whether you believe in a god or not, is all about love. The continuance of love. And we must do everything with that in mind. Even the ordinary tasks of life. Like this door. Putting love into what you do. Whatever it is. Breaking stones in the gulag? Mitri, don't say that. Don't be so cynical. There's far too much suffering in the world to be making fun of it. I'm not making fun. I'm... No, stop. Stop, please. We must be positive. We must always be positive. Without love, where would you and I be, Mitri? Isn't that the greatest thing we have? Our love. Oh, there is nothing to match that. <laughs> there is nothing to break that. And here, here inside me, there is the culmination of that love. Four months now, Mitri. Nearly halfway. Isn't that so exciting? She ran over and kissed me then, and dabbed my nose with her paintbrush. <laughs> there. Now you look perfect. And she giggled and ran back to her door. I can still feel the wet mark of the brush against my nose. That's because it was put there with love, Mitri. We were so happy then. The happiest time. I'd never really thought about being a father. It wasn't planned. I didn't quite know what to expect or what effect it would have on my life, my work. But there is no question that the prospect of a child gave our relationship a new impetus, and Sonia was more radiant than ever to my eyes. She was 23, but she was like a teenager in ways. Her excitement, and that excitement remained the whole way, despite the pain. And then that day, that day in May, such screaming. Sonia standing at that same open door, her key still in her hand. Mitri! Mitri, help! Something is wrong. There was blood streaming down her leg. The stain of it is there still under the carpet. I had prepared myself for the loss of the child, but I was never prepared for what she went through all that night. The blood and the baby dead. Could that not have been enough? Enough suffering? But no, on it went until the drugs finally did their work and eventually she was relieved of her suffering. And I began mine. Who are you, my pretty one? I am Princess Waiting. Waiting for what? In reality, of course, I wasn't here. That day she staggered up the stairs in pain and opened that door, calling for me. I was on the other side of the city, in someone else's bed. I only found out about it some hours later when I arrived at the college to teach a class. I went straight to the hospital, 
waited and waited in my uselessness. Eventually, I was allowed to sit at her bed. Who are you, my pretty one? But she was incapable of a response and died soon after. There, that's when they should have come to take me away. I would have deserved it then. And now, and now it is here. Yes, this must be it. Yes, it is. I can't stand up. If I looked out of the window, no, it is definitely them. I was right. No, I'll just stay here and keep my eyes on that door. It's our house, yes. Here they come. They're in the hallway below. But which apartment is he in, Dmitri Dmitrich? Why don't you kick in a door downstairs on the ground floor? Why don't you do that? No need to come up here. There must be somebody down there you can make a case against. Someone who was pissed in public, someone reading the wrong type of book, someone with a cousin in the West. Not that you need a reason. You can just make it up. They shouted obscenities at you from behind the door. Cursed the great leader. Go on, kick in a door down there. No? Footsteps on the stairs. Steady footsteps. Of course, no need to rush. Four o'clock in the morning. Who's going to be up? And there's no other way out. No means of escape. Oh, I can feel my bowels rumbling. Keep my buttocks clenched. Wouldn't do to shit my pants now, would it? Our premier composer soiling his underpants. <laughs> no. No, don't laugh. Mustn't laugh. Daren't laugh. I shit myself if I laugh. Keep clenched. They're on the floor below now. Not stopping. Why not? Stairs again. Only two floors left now. Only four apartments left. One in four chances now. Must be me. There they are on the corridor. Keep looking at the door. Seal it with my eyes. Thou shalt not open. Outside be Ramos' door now, the Georgian. No, still going. It's me. It's me. Don't breathe. Mathematician, that's who they want. What did he do? 
two and two will make four. Oh, well then. Yes, yes, guilty as charged. The party says two and two add up to five, and the party can't be wrong. There they are. Coming down again. Pass by. Go on. Pass by my door. Go on. Good. Keep going. Yes, down those stairs too. Don't stop. Take the old man, the poor innocent old man, and leave me. Leave me be another night. Out into the street with him. Throw him into the back of the truck. That's it. Start up the engine. Now go. Yes. Off into the night. That's it. Death can wait for me. Wait a little longer. I have my symphony to finish after all. What is that old man's life compared to that? Oh. Oh, what am I saying? What am I... Oh. I, I... I can see them. I can see the panels on the door. I can see them now. Yes, dawn is coming. Yes, I've got through this night. I've survived. My symphony. I must, must do some work. I must justify my being here. And that poor old man. Now, come on. Where is my pen? That was Facing the Music, a play by Carl O'Neill. John Kavanagh played Dmitry Shostakovich. Kathy Rose O'Brien was Sonia, the composer's sweetheart. And the phantom voices of the fickle were served by Deirdre Monaghan and the drama's author, Carl O'Neill. Sound supervision was by Damien Chanel's. Facing the Music was produced by Aidan Matthews. rta.ie forward slash drama on one.